The command is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. It is time for us, brothers and sisters, as a church, as a nation, as a group of Christians, to get in the game and to compete and to make disciples. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. For our morning reading, we'll come from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and adelante, 19 and 20, 18 and 20. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, it'll be found on page 1,550. Matthew 28, verse 18, 19 and 20. Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, good morning. It is truly great to be with you this morning. I do bring you greetings from the Dominican Republic. Every time a preacher gets up in any church in the Dominican Republic, when we get up here in front, the first thing we say is this, que Dios le bendiga. Now that simply means, may God bless you. So that's the first thing a preacher says to the congregation. When he gets up in front, he says, que Dios le bendiga. But the, auto, the, the, the congregation also has a part. See, we say, que Dios le bendiga, may God bless you, and your response is, amen. Now, you might know from your high school Spanish, if you can remember, amen is Spanish for amen. So, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to say, que Dios le bendiga, and you're going to respond by saying, amen. Now, there's one catch. This is the early service, and if you don't say amen with enough energy, then I keep saying que Dios le bendiga, and you have to keep repeating amen until I feel like you're ready to study God's word. Are you ready? We've got to wake up this morning. Que Dios le bendiga. Amen. Que Dios le bendiga. Amen. amen. I know you don't typically say amen in your service this morning. I didn't either coming from church in Virginia, but I do now preaching in the Dominican Republic. I do invite you this morning... At any time during my sermon, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking this morning and you agree with something I'm saying or something God is saying through me, feel free to say, Amen. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. We call this the Great Commission. We call it the Great Commission because Jesus looks at his disciples, his trusted men, and he says, Hey, one last command I have for you. I want you to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations. And how are you going to do that? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is a commission. This is a command. It's a call to action for all Christians. Jesus echoes this commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I love how he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now you have to realize, in Acts 1, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already spent three days in the tomb, and he's already resurrected. 
And now he's on the earth for about 40 days after his resurrection. And he gets with his disciples once again. And this is right before he ascends into heaven, right before he goes into heaven. And he tells his disciples, remember what I told you. Because now I'm leaving you, but remember this. In Acts 1.8, he says, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the same commission in case they had forgotten what he had said. Hey, this is the same thing. You are going to be my witnesses all throughout the world. This, This is the great commission. It's a call to action. It's a commission. Well, it is late August, and that can only mean one thing here in the South. As someone mentioned earlier, I am from Virginia, so I still can Southwest Virginia, so I'm still part of the South. And it can only mean one thing here in the South. Now, I know that, yes, school is is back in session, and all the kids are really excited because school's back in session. I know that the parents are really excited because now the kids are back in school, but that's not what I'm talking about. At the end of August, beginning of September, it really can only mean one thing. Now, I know that the the temperature is going to change here soon. Fall is right around the corner. We're going to change our clocks back, and it's not going to be quite as hot, and that's exciting, but that's not what I'm talking about either. At the end of August, beginning of September, something happens every year that is really important to a lot of us from the South. Brothers and sisters, college football season is upon us. And you know what that means? That it's, this is the year that Clemson is going to bring home a national championship. Can I get an amen? Now, I will have to admit, being a diehard Virginia Tech Hokie fan, it took all that I had in me to say that this morning, okay? But I do hope they have a great year. No, college football is wonderful, and it's just starting. I love it, and you love it. And many of us, every Saturday, we're going to be in front of the TV yelling and screaming and cheering on our team. Many of us men actually yell at that TV as if the players and the coaches could hear us. Some of us will actually buy tickets, and we'll go to the stadium, and we'll sit in the stadium amongst tens of thousands of other crazy fans cheering along our team. There's tens of thousands of us cheering for the few that are actually participating. And that's all great. And that's all fun. There's nothing wrong with cheering for college football. But the problem is, many times, we take that same fan mentality and apply it to our Christian lives. Many times, we feel that as Christians, we're just one of millions that are supposed to be sitting on the sidelines cheering for the few who are actually making disciples. But that's not what Jesus said. He said to you and to me, go and make disciples. Not go and sit on the sidelines and cheer for those who are making disciples. The Great Commission is a command for me. It's a command for you. It's a call to action. And what I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is that the Great Commission of Jesus Christ is not a spectator sport. The Great Commission is not a spectator sport. It's an action sport, and we are the competitors. We are supposed to put on our pads, put on our helmet, and get in the game. He calls us to get in the game, not to sit on the sidelines and cheer for a few who are actually playing. The question is not, does the church have a mission? The question is, does the mission have a church? We know what the mission is to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses throughout the world. The question is, how are we going to respond? 
Now, I love what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The reason I love that is because he tells his disciples, as they're in Jerusalem, now you've all heard of the, the, the city of Jerusalem, um, they're in Jerusalem at the time, and he says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is, I want you to start right here, right now, where you are. Be my witnesses, make disciples here and now. And then you're going to go to other areas, Judea, bigger area, and Samaria, a place where these guys never wanted to go. And then you're going to make disciples there. And then you know what? I want you to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. But it starts here, now, where you are. And I think that's so, such a great message for us. Because I remember before, coming a missionary, before becoming a missionary in the Dominican Republic, sitting in my church in Virginia, listening to missionaries who do things in Africa and Asia and India. And I've always thought to myself, how do they get there? Wow, they're just incredible people. And then one time a missionary from India challenged me. He said, Ryan, you're supposed to make disciples here and now where you are. Allow God to use you to make disciples, and then he'll, he'll take you to another place, and to another place, and to another place. And now my wife and I live full-time in the Dominican Republic making disciples. But I think that message is for us. To go and make disciples, to be his witnesses in Greenville first. Make disciples in your families, with your spouse, with your children. Your children should be your first disciples how about with your coworkers? Many of you know your coworkers better than you know some of your extended family because you're with your coworkers day in and day out. That's, where we're, that's our mission field. That's your mission field right now. You are to be his witnesses to make disciples here and now in Jerusalem, in Greenville first. And then as a church, as a body together, we'll move out from Greenville, we'll go to other areas and you go to the Dominican Republic. You know, there are several people in this congregation that I really respect. I've gotten to know several people. There's one man named Keith Gross, member of this congregation. Some of you may know, know him. He leads a Hispanic-focused ministry over in West Greenville. They offer after-school tutoring programs, Friday night club for all the youth, and summer enrichment programs. Their mission is to create hope and opportunities for Greenville's at-risk students through Christ-centered educational and social en enrichment. Keith is fulfilling the Great Commission right here and right now. He knows that there are at-risk children, Hispanic children in West Greenville, and he said, you know what? I need to make a difference. I need to be a witness for Jesus Christ right here, right now, so I'm going to do it in West Greenville. There's another person here in the congregation, Miss Beth Simmons, who's pretty much taken over Hollis Academy. It's a public school for at-risk children where almost 100% of the meals are subsidized by the government. Very at-risk students. There are so many ministry opportunities there. Homeroom, mom, offering tests, volunteers um, for, for reading opportunities. And what I hear is Beth has really taken over that entire school of at-risk children where no one really wants to work. And I hear that there are probably over 200 of you First Pres members fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ and volunteering at Hollis Academy. And for that, I want to say thank you and well done. Well done. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. 
making disciples, working in West Greenville, working at Hollis Academy, being witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I want to thank Beth, and I want to thank Keith and all of you who are doing that here in Greenville. And if you are not involved in one of those ministries or one of the other dozens of ministries that this church is involved in, I want to challenge you with this. It's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. The Great Commission is not a spectator sport. It's an active sport, and we are the competitors. Here in Jerusalem, here in Greenville is where it starts. But then we don't stop here. You're supposed to move into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you know that the teenagers of this church now have been on three mission trips to the Dominican Republic over the last several years? In each trip, there were over 50 people on every trip. These teenagers gave up a week or two in their summer vacation. They gave up money. They went over down to the Dominican. They worked in some of the poorest batelles, as Moises mentioned, some of the poorest neighborhoods in all the Dominican Republic where there's no running water, there's no electricity, and they witnessed to these children. And they became Jesus to these children in the Dominican Republic. Did you know that there have been over 100 members of First Pres, adult members, that have gone on adult mission trips to the Dominican Republic? Now, that's a huge sacrifice for an adult to go on a mission trip. Because number one, you have to take a week of vacation. Number two, you're going to lose money because you're on a week of vacation. So you can't make the money at work. You have to take time off work. You have to take time away from your family, from your children. It's a huge commitment. And over 100 people of First Pres, church members, have come down to the Dominican Republic to offer medical supplies, to do surgeries, to pull teeth, to evangelize, to preach. These are people here at First Pres that are trying their best to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I, for that, I say thank you. Thank you for helping us fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ in the Dominican Republic. In 2007, my wife and I visited the Dominican Republic for the very first time. We went there to visit some missionary friends of ours that were there. I was in a ministry in Virginia, very comfortable, uh, living a very good life, having a great ministry, very successful, and everything was great. We had just had our first child, and we went to the Dominican Republic just to visit some friends who were fulfilling the Great Commission there in the Dominican, just to see what they were doing, to see how God was moving, uh, moving in their ministry. Well, while we were there in 2007, the, the missionaries took us to a, an area, a neighborhood, which they told us the name was Plywood Village, or Be a Playwood, Plywood Village. And I asked the missionary, I said, well, why do they call it Plywood Village? He said, you'll see when we get there. And as soon as we drove up, here's what I saw. I saw streets that were not paved. I saw no sidewalks. I saw sewage running down the side of the street, because that's the only area where the sewage had to run. And then I saw dozens and dozens and dozens of houses. People who had taken pieces of plywood, made four walls, and put a, a, tin, a piece of tin over top as a roof. And five to ten people were living in each one of these huts. Therefore, everyone called the area Plywood Village. And I asked the missionary, I said, how does this happen? I can't even comprehend this. How does this happen? And he told me that all along the coast of Punta Cana, some of you have been on vacation there, there are dozens of all-inclusive hotels that are being built. And so tens of thousands of Dominicans and Haitians have moved out to Punta Cana to work in those construction jobs. 
Well, they don't have anywhere to live. So they just put up pieces of plywood and a piece of tin on the roof and they call it home and at least they have a job. Well, I looked around Plywood Village during my few days that I was there and here's what I saw. I saw in every corner there was a bar. And not just a bar where people could go and hang out, a bar where people went with the sole purpose of getting drunk because they couldn't handle the situation they were living in. They would go there so they could drink so much that they didn't have to think about it, about the, the, the bad life that they had. I saw teenagers dealing drugs on the corner two blocks down from where we were staying. In the middle of the night, I was woken up by, by someone yelling in the streets. And I, I just stuck my head out the window to see what was going on. And there were two men who were drunk, so drunk, they pulled out their machetes and they were fighting each other with the machetes and mutilating each other with the machetes. I never saw any schools. There were no schools visible. There were no churches visible. And I looked around and one day I actually looked at that missionary and I said, Rick, this place is hopeless. This place is hopeless. But you know what, brothers and sisters, I forgot something. Something very important. That with our God, there is always hope. With our God, there is always hope. Little did I know that within the next year of my life, after returning from the Dominican Republic on that mission trip, during the next year of my life, God would convict me, would convict my wife, to sell everything we have and move to Plywood Village to shine the light of Jesus Christ to this place that I thought was hopeless. So my wife and I did that. We moved to the Dominican Republic. We began working in Plywood Village. Matter of fact, one of the first things we did is help the missionaries there plant the church. Because the missionary told me, Ryan, more than anything, more than roads, more than, than sidewalks, more than electricity, what they need is Jesus Christ. So let's plant the church because if they die with Jesus, at least they have Jesus and they're going to heaven. So let's plant a church. So that's the first thing we did. We, started, we bought a small piece of property and we planted a church in a tent. We began to have women's outreach and men's outreach and children's Bible studies and Sunday schools. And the people started coming and we started seeing God transform the lives of these people. We saw him pull them out of the bars and bring them to their knees in the church service worshiping him. Over the next several years, God began to transform the entire community. The government came in. They paved the roads. They put in sidewalks. The bars began to shut down one by one because they didn't have enough customers coming in and buying the alcohol. We actually had a problem with one of the bars where it was just right across the street and they blare music from their, loud, from their loudspeakers. They blare music all day long. Well, we couldn't even have our church service across the street because we couldn't hear the person preaching or the people singing because the music was so loud in the bar. So you know what we did? We stepped out on faith. And we went over to that bar and we took them a letter. And we said, we, we respect you, but we have church service on these days at these times and we can't even hear our own preacher and our, our instrumentalist singing the songs. Would you mind turning your music down a little bit while we have church service? You know what the bar did? They said, oh, we are so sorry for offending you. We will turn our music off every time you have church service. And they did. Every time we have church, they turned their music off so that we could worship Jesus Christ. God began to transform Plywood Village. We realized quickly, a statistic came out in the area that we were working in there in Plywood Village. A statistic came out that said there were 5,000 
school-age children in our neighborhood. 3,000 of them did not go to school. And that's because the public schools that were in the area were already full. You school teachers will like this. In the public schools in that area, the ratio is 60 students to one teacher. And so my wife and I looked at each other, and the Dominican pastor that that we work with there, we looked at each other and we said, we have to do something about this. This is in our community. This is in our Jerusalem in, in Punta Cana, in, in Plywood Village. We have to do something. And so we started an elementary school for at-risk kids in Punta Cana, in Plywood Village. Now, I personally, I just wanted to start with 30 or 40 children, preschool, to see how it goes. And the pastor told me, Ryan, you don't understand. There's, there's a great need here. We have to start bigger. And I said, no, 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 we're going to start small and grow it. No, Ryan, God wants us to start bigger. So we opened the school on the first day, just kindergarten to fourth grade. We had 108 children sign up on the very first day. That was four years ago. The second year, we had 268 children. We expanded up through seventh grade. Last year, in our third year, we had 425 children at our school. And this year, up through eighth grade now, just on Monday of last week, we opened our school for the new school year. We have over 500 children in our school. Amen? These are children that were not getting any education, and now they're getting an education, and we're teaching them about Jesus Christ every single day in the school. All because God gave us a vision to make a difference and to make disciples. Now, this story is great, but there's actually, the the best part is something that, that we didn't do. Several years ago, about two years ago, the Dominican government came out to Punta Cana, and they said, They want to give real names to all these little towns that shot up. Because Plywood Village is a very offensive name. The Dominican government did not want any of their towns to be known as Plywood Village. That's embarrassing. So there's a lot of these little towns out there that kind of shot up. So the government came out and they wanted to give it an official name. So the government traveled from town to town and they went into the town and they looked at the town, did an evaluation and said, okay, what do we see? And that's the name we're going to give it. Well, when they got there, they saw something very differently than I did in 2007. When the government came in, they saw paved roads. They saw sidewalks. There's only a handful of bars. There's not that big of a deal with drugs anymore. They saw a vibrant church right on Main Street. They saw a school really helping the children right on the Main Street of the town. And they just said, no longer are we going to call this Villa Playwood. No longer are we going to call it Plywood Village. From now on, this area is going to be called, be known as Villa Esperanza. Or the village of hope. The village of hope. The government gave our community the name the village of hope. And I said, do you know why that is? Because Jesus Christ is now in this village. And he is the hope of the world. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that we've done. It's because Jesus is transforming the community. Brothers and sisters, this morning I share these stories with you about Keith and Beth the youth, the adults of this congregation, our story in the Dominican Republic. Not to brag on ourselves, not to tell you that we're superheroes, because if you talk to any one of us, I promise we'll all say the same thing. That we're not worthy of this. That we don't really know what we're doing. All we know is that we have decided to get in the game and to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ. And when we as Christians allow Jesus to work through us, he does incredible things. But you have to get in the game. You have to pick up his playbook and get in the game. We've just come through the the Rio Olympics. 
And there are many stories, many great stories that happen with the Olympics every single year. Um, many of you, I don't know if you are like me, uh, I never watch gymnastics, typically, but during the Olympics, I always watch gymnastics. Uh, and I'm very nervous every night. Um, I stay up really, really late every night um, watching the Olympics and, and hoping that the little girls don't fall off the balance beam because it makes me so nervous. I don't know if you were like that. I'm actually really glad that the Olympics are over because I didn't sleep for like two weeks because I was cheering USA, USA with everybody that was, that was competing. Well, you all know the story of Michael Phelps, the incredible swimmer. You all know his story. He's now the most decorated Olympic, Olympic athlete of all time. 28 medals. 23 of them are gold medals. He's been on five Olympic teams. And since it only happens every four years, just do the math. And now this year, he became the first swimmer to win four consecutive gold medals in the same event. You all know the fame of Michael Phelps. You've all seen him cheer like this. You saw him hold up his four fingers because he won four in a row. But you know what? He hasn't always been a good swimmer. There might be something you didn't know about him. That when Michael was a small child, he was inspired to swim by his two older sisters. His older sisters were really good swimmers. And they were actually had some uh, Olympic um, aspirations, but because of injuries and other things, they never made it. But one day at practice, when, when Michael was about seven or eight years old, his sister said, Michael, come on, get in the pool. We're going to teach you how to swim. Michael said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to get in the pool. Yeah, come on, get in the pool. No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't want to get in the pool. They said, what's wrong? He said, I don't like to put my face under the water. And they said, come on, get in the pool. Now, at that moment, his sisters could have made fun of him. The coach that was there could have said, you know what? This kid's afraid of the water. He's never going to be a good swimmer. I don't want him on my team. If he's too afraid to get in the water, I don't want him. But that's not what happened. You know what happened? The coach of the team said, Michael, come here. Get in the water with me. And float around on your back until you feel comfortable enough to put your face under the water. Which is why it's no surprise that the first stroke that Michael Phelps mastered is the backstroke. But brothers and sisters, what would have happened if Michael would have never gotten in the pool? He would have never won a gold medal. He would have never competed. He would have never been this, uh, this, this American icon that, that now we have, the greatest swimmer of all time. But he did decide to get, in the, to get in the pool. He decided to get in the game. He decided to get in the game. And winning those gold medals was not easy. He had to earn them. Day in and day out practicing. It took commitment. It took courage. It's not easy. But he knew if he wanted to win the prize, he had to pay the price. He had to get in the game. And it's the same for us as Christians. No athlete has ever won the prize without competing in the event. And we as Christians also will never make disciples if we don't get in the game. The command is to go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. It is time for us, brothers and sisters, as a church, as a nation, as a group of Christians, to get in the game and to compete and to make disciples. We'll never fulfill the Great Commission if we don't, if we never even compete in the event. Brothers and sisters, I just encourage you, join the adults, join the teenagers, come to the Dominican Republic or anywhere, but right now start in Greenville. Brothers and sisters, get in the game.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your commission. I thank you for your command. I thank you, God, that you've challenged us to make disciples, but you've also promised us that you will be with us always. That everywhere we go, no matter where we go, you are with us. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you so much. It's in your holy name we do pray. Amen. Join us Wednesday evenings at 6 for Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. In this nine-week class, beginning September 14th, you'll learn to create a budget and get out of debt. Visit firstpressgreenville.org for more details and to register.